0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by Micah Bosworth, who pastors Ridgepoint Baptist Church in Wenatchee, Washington. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. But Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be tonight. A pretty well-known passage of scripture and a great, great story. And many times we call this story the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. And what we're going to look at tonight specifically is that this story is not just about one son. Uh, In fact, uh, not too long ago, I was reading through this portion of scripture, and as I was reading through the story, just started to notice some things because of some of the areas that the Lord has grown me in very recently, Uh, just noticed some things in this passage that I hadn't really noticed before. And uh, normally, growing up in church, when I heard a preacher say that and then they were about to preach, I'm like, oh no, what's he about to say? (laughs) Uh, He's never seen this before, Uh uh-oh. But I hope by at the end of the message uh, that you'll see right from our text uh, just uh, how truly to define our relationship to our Heavenly Father. Uh, and so I've entitled tonight's message just this, Define the Relationship. We'll look at two sons and how they define their relationship with their father. And many times we fall into one of the categories of these two sons in the way that we define ourselves and in the way that we define our relationship to our, our father. And, uh, and so I, I just say it this way, we many times suffer from either younger brother syndrome or older brother syndrome. We're going to see that uh, tonight as we look into Luke chapter 15. And if you're willing and able, would you stand as we read God's word tonight? Luke chapter 15 and verse number 11. Verse number 11, I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, And he said, talking about Jesus, a certain man had two sons. So already we see this is a story about two sons, not one. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brothers come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, Neither transgress I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. but as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, "Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meat that we should make merry. And be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Let's go ahead and go to our God in order prayer, and then we'll dive right into the message. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, and for the truths that it contains. And Lord, I pray tonight that as we hear from this story, that you yourself, as you were here on this earth in flesh, you said this story. And Lord, it is such an amazing picture of your love to us. And so God, we pray that tonight as we look into it, that you would challenge our hearts, encourage us. Lord, help us to take something that we hear tonight and, and not just be hearers, but Lord, to be doers, to take it and to apply it to how we walk with you. And, and really, Lord, on the why we walk with you, as we wake up tomorrow and do so. Lord, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you're going to speak. We pray that you bless this and that you keep us safe as we're gathered together today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Um, I'm going to kind of walk through the story. We're going to retell the story a little bit and uh, see some things that we've all seen before and maybe see some things that... Uh, we'll see in somewhat of a new light just because maybe uh, we'll understand the culture even a little bit more as we dive into why uh, Jesus was saying some of the things that he was saying, who he was speaking to. And I believe that uh, if you'll listen tonight, if we'll pay attention, that uh, this could be uh, one of the most challenging and encouraging messages that we can ever hear. And it's not because I'm up here preaching it or anything like that. It's because the truths that we're going to see in the passage tonight, we each and every one of us need to be reminded of often, very often. And so as we go through this story, we see here uh, that uh, this young son comes up to the father uh, and tells him that he uh, wanted all of his inheritance. Now, uh, to see how how big of a sin this was against the Father, we need to realize how patriarchal the culture was in the Jewish time. And in this area, especially the people that Jesus was talking to, if you go to the beginning of the passage, the beginning of the chapter, uh, the reason Jesus is telling these stories is because there were some Pharisees uh, who were uh, criticizing him for eating and sitting down with publicans and with sinners. And uh, and so as he's talking to these people, uh, he he knows who he's talking to, what their culture is, and how they saw a father in a family system. What they would have seen as the family uh, as the family line would have gone is that in terms of the family, the father was the top respected uh, person in the entire family. He was. Uh, in charge of literally everything. He was in charge of the wealth. Uh, he was in charge of uh, the servants. He was, uh, what he said happened. Uh, it was just uh, from the top down patriarchal system that they all were supposed to respect the father. It was very important because of the regard that they held each father in each family uh, that, that people respected the father. Uh, The father was not the one to ever have to do dirty jobs. The father was not the one who would ever have to go and chase a servant. He pretty much should have been able to say the word and someone else goes and get him and bring him to him, which is a big deal because twice this father goes out of his way to get people. Uh, And and so we're going to see that uh, the people that Jesus is talking to here, he knows how they would have viewed the father. And so when he says a father had two sons and the younger one comes to him and says, hey, I want my inheritance. This was a big deal. Uh, This was uh, such a disrespectful act to the father. Uh, This this son, in essence, was saying, father, father, Uh, I have no use for you. You see, an inheritance, we're not unfamiliar with an inheritance. That normally doesn't get given out to people until what happens? The person dies, right? And so truthfully, what this man, this young son was saying to his father was, I wish you were dead. How disrespectful. Uh, I wish that you were dead. I have no use for you. I, I don't care about you I want your stuff. That's really what he was saying. And so, right off the bat, he starts the story with a pretty big and offensive thing to take place, especially to the Pharisees that he's talking to. Like, this kid did what to his father? He he said what to him? And, and he this guy's dead. Like That's what's going to happen. This guy is going to die. He's going to be excommunicated. That's what they would have seen. And what would have normally happened in these kind of circumstances is the kid would be excommunicated. They would, at times, in these kinds of situations, hold a funeral for the son, although he was not dead. I believe that's why the father later says, this my son was dead and is alive again. Okay, so they, they would have been like, we know what's taking place next. Keep going on with the story. But Jesus doesn't say what they think he's going to say. The next statement that Jesus says would have been just as surprising to them as what the son said. Because it says this, and he, talking about the father, divided unto them his living. So he, he did it. <laughs> Dad, I, I have no use for you. I just want your stuff. Give me What's coming to me when you die? And the, and the father says, okay. <laughs> and he humbles himself enough to say, that's what you want? Have it. Now, uh, in this system, uh, how they would divide up their living is the oldest of the family would always get double the portion of any of the other siblings. And so in this specific instance, there were two sons. And so what would take place is the older son would get two-thirds of all of the living of the father, and then the younger son would get one-third of it. And it wasn't just his money. Uh, it would have been a third of his land, a third of his livestock, a third of uh, the, just everything, everything that the father had underneath him. Uh, the son would get a third of it, and his, the older son would, was supposed to get two-thirds of it. And it tells us that, uh, that when this takes place, uh, he divides to him his living, and then it says, I believe it's uh, in verse 13, it says, then the younger son gathered all together and, and took his uh, journey into a far country. So it seems as though uh, you know you can't travel with land and all of that, so he kind of liquidates all of the assets to cash and says, all right, I'm out of here, and goes as far away as he can from the father. And it tells us that then uh, he... Wastes every single bit of it on riotous living. And this wasn't just, this wasn't just like wasting it all on junk food and, and all of these trinkets and nice clothes and all of this stuff. Uh, we find out from the older brother la- later that he spent his money on promiscuity. It was very wicked living. And so again, remember who Jesus is talking to. <laughs> To the Pharisees, as if it wasn't bad enough that this kid said what he did to his dad, and for some reason, the dad, dumb, gives him the living, okay? And then the kid, on top of all of that, goes and wastes it on what kind of living? With who? And to buy what? And if, as if. As if it wasn't bad enough, I love how Jesus, it's almost as if Jesus is trying to offend the Pharisees to the max as I read this, okay? Because then it says that after he spent all, he has zero dollars left, that a famine comes. And because of the famine, he, he needs to eat, he needs to survive, and he joins himself up to this uh, person in this country, and uh, in our American context, we wouldn't really understand this, but if you go to uh, a lot of other countries, many times the people that would find themselves in this kind of begging situation uh, would, would pair themselves up to someone, they give them one thing, now you're like, my best friend, I'm always around you, I'm in front of your house, I'm, I'm always getting stuff from you, they would be, for lack of a better term, a leech to this person, uh, and, and they would just join up with them, and that's what this younger brother has found himself doing, is, is joining himself up up to a person and, and living off of him as much as he can. And, and it's the, the guy basically says, well, if you're going to do this, you got to work for it. Go out to the fields. He sends him out to the fields. And it tells us that, and this is where he's really going to offend the Pharisees, is now this Jewish man then finds himself working with pigs, pigs who the Jews found as unclean, Filthy animals that no one, no Jew should ever be found or caught dead around. Like, you just do not mess with them. Not so much so, he wasn't just around the pigs. He wasn't just feeding the pigs. He was eating what the pigs ate. I mean, this kid has hit the lowest of rock bottoms. And, and, and the Pharisees listening to this, I can imagine, are going, oh, he got what was coming to him. Look at where he is now. All of this sin has left him right in the uncleanliness of the pigs. He got what was coming to him. And then it tells us that the young son, as he's eating, he goes, what am I doing? He comes to himself and he thinks, I'm working right now for pig husks. And the servants in my father's house are at least getting bread enough to eat what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and I know I can't be a son anymore. That that ship has sailed. I've, I've done way too great of sin to become a son anymore. But I'll, I'll see if I can become a servant. Because I mean, I'm working here and I'm getting paid husks. At least there I could work and get paid bread enough to eat and be filled. And it it already gives a glimpse of the love of the father in the fact that the son knew the character of the father so much that, after all he had done, he still somewhere in his mind thought, "If I go back, I could still get something. Think about how much the love this father must have shown prior to what the son did for the son to think this in his mind that if I could go back and get something and and we're going i I think he he knew the father loved him, but he underestimated just how much i Being a son is out of the question, but I can be a servant. But we're going to find such an amazing thing take place because it says that he starts to walk. In verse 20, he rose and came to his father, but when he was a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. The father was waiting for him it's as if the father was like, I know my son. I know what he's going to do with the money. And I know at some point he's going to have to come back. And so I'm just going to wait for that day, hoping that he does. And when he finally did see him, it wasn't like uh, he shows up and knocks on the door. And he goes, oh, hey, you're here. Yeah, come on back in. Like we're, I mean, he allows him in. We're going to see it. But it was the father was waiting. He saw him on the outskirts of town. And he ran to him, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And it, I love this because the son starts going through his spiel that he had come up with. Like, I've sinned against heaven and before you, no more worthy to call thy son. But if you would, and he's like, hey, 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 servants. He like cuts him off and says, servants, wait a second. We need to do something about this son. Now, I, I love this, and I want us to see it because what he does is such such an amazing picture of what our Father's love is to us, because uh, not only did He run, but the Father, in some respects, He paid for the for the Son's sin. He He took on the shame Himself. Uh, when this when this Father ran and then walked back to the house with his son under his arm, everyone now knew that boy is a son. He's not dead anymore. That boy is a son. And everyone would have thought the father was a fool for doing so. The Pharisees would have thought so even listening to this. They would have been like, what? And, and because of what this father did, everyone whose mindset about this situation was, I can't believe the son did that is now, I can't believe the father would do that. Do you see how the father took the shame on himself? People aren't now thinking, what, I can't believe what the son did. They're thinking, I can't believe what the father did. He's taking the shame on himself as he walks with him. And then I love this because he says to the servants, go get the best robe and put it on him. Get a ring and shoes on his feet. Now, knowing the patriarchal system that they had and how much respect there was for the father and a family, who do you think had the best robe? The father. So, in essence, what this man was saying was clothe this son in me, give him my clothes, give him my robe. Uh, and it's such it's such a beautiful picture of how Jesus, I love the verse that says, Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us. It's like the father took on the shame. Became sin for us that we might in his robe become the righteousness of God. What a, what a wonderful picture of what Jesus has done for us. And uh, And I love that, then the father doesn't just run. He doesn't just pay for the sin. He doesn't just clothe him in himself, but then he also celebrates. He's so excited that the son is back. He celebrates. They have a party with all of his friends, and they, they kill the fatted calf. Now, meat uh, wasn't something that they ate at every meal. It's not like like America. We Every meal is like burgers, steak and potatoes, tacos with meat in it. You know, like every, meat is just, it's normal to us. That's what we eat. To them, meat was like a delicacy. Like they didn't eat meat at every meal. Uh, I I remember when we went to Israel a few years back, uh, even still, uh, you could see some of their cultural ties of what they eat because I would walk into breakfast and there's vegetables at breakfast on the buffet table and I'm like, who does this? Okay, where's the meat, right? And where, where's the sausage? And, all, you know, so uh, it's it just in their culture, it, was, it just isn't something that they eat all the time. It was something that was held for special occasions. And so this father uh, uh, was was doing this for the son, saying, this is a special occasion. We're gonna eat meat tonight, friends, because my son was dead and is alive. And then I love that then the father pleads. As we continue in the story, the father pleads With the older son, and we'll see that in just uh, a moment. Uh, That that he looks to the son in such an amazing, the older son in such an the same amazing way that he does the younger son. Uh, You see, the the older son. If you read the entire story, he's he's kind of silent until the end. Right? We don't we don't see anything that he said. He never once came to the surface. To intervene or to defend his brother's honor or his father's honor. He, he's just kind of been silently seething, it seems, this whole time. Uh, man, I can't believe my, my younger brother would do that, and he's, I know what he's going to go waste that money on. It just seems that to himself, he's just been silently seething this entire time, and now it's gotten to a point where it's just, it's too much. It is too much. I can't handle what the father has done for my younger son. I hear music and dancing. What's this about? Your your brother, he came back home. He, what? Because he knew dancing and music, the fatted calf, all of that. He knew what that meant. That meant he's my brother again. He's a son. and And to show just how much this would have been Really offensive to the, the older brother because this the father reinstated the younger son, the two-thirds that remained of the father's estate, when the father now died, would be divided again into thirds. Two-thirds for the older son, one third for the younger. So, really, who got who got the raw deal out of that if you look at it monetarily? And and so this this older brother, is so, so offended that this could all take place. And I want us to see tonight, really, as we look at it, the story's kind of open-ended. It ends with the son or the father saying something to the son, and then we don't really find out about whether that son decided to go in. I assume he didn't, especially because of who The older son represents in this story the Pharisees and how many of them completely rejected the love of the Father. But but it's kind of open ended, and I think that's because as we come to this story, we each have to realize, or we we each have to come to a decision: what are we going to do about this story? As they heard it that day, it's an open ended story. What what are we going to do about this? And so I want us to look at just a few applications from this story for us. Today. And, and I want to first look at the lost younger brother. The lost younger brother. The, the younger brother, he thought that he would find freedom away from the father. He, uh, he thought that he could find liberty and, and doing and happiness and all of that. He thought that he could find freedom away from the father. But what he actually found is that temporary freedom led to bondage. Uh, he went out on this path for self-discovery to find out who I am. Apart from the social norms and apart from my father and apart from my family, apart from my town that I've grown up in, I, I just need to find out who I am and, and discover who I am outside of all of this. And uh, and he defined himself and he saw his relationship to his father really as something that could be earned uh, Something we see that because he he realized I can never become a son again, I can't earn that status again. But maybe I could earn servant status and earn bread to eat. Uh, he saw his relationship to his father as something that could be earned, something that uh, he uh, could never get back. And I believe many of the younger brothers of our society uh, in. in In the world and in Christianity today, they they run away from a relationship with God or from Christianity as a whole because they see it as this son most likely did as just some moral conformity, just an obligatory rule keeping, and uh, and I believe uh, that some of that could be the fault of people and some of us that are at times in the older brother camp that people see. Uh, the Christianity and living as just rule-keeping and following all of that, and, and some of that could be that the younger son looked to the older son and saw how he just kept all the rules, and, and that's uh, how how the older son, we're gonna I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but saw himself with his father again as something that could be earned, and, and he just rejected that entirely because that's not what a relationship with the father is about. It's not just about following every little rule and and making sure that you hold to all of these traditions as the older brother thought. And I I do believe that sometimes younger brothers of society, they run away from Christ and from Christianity because they see it as just that, obligatory rule-keeping, moral conformity. And, And so he sees it as something to be earned. And when he finally came to himself, his relationship with his father, he saw it, was defined by his sin. That's how he saw it. He he saw his relationship to his father as I have sinned against heaven and against my father. And that's all he sees me now as, is the son who sinned. Maybe I can become a servant because all he sees me now as is the son who sinned. My relationship with my father is defined by my sin. And you know, As I look to this younger brother, I think there are a lot of people in this world that are lost in sin. Thinking they have freedom, but truly are in bondage. But sadly, it's not just in the unbelieving world. There are Christians who are far from God in sin. That have run away from him because their view of him was completely skewed. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe that's someone here that you've been running from God. And maybe this is even one of the first times in a long time that you've been at church or that recently you just got into your Bible reading or something like that. And you begin searching again for God. And you think in this way, my sin has made me too far gone to truly be able to get back into fellowship with him or to be used by him. But can I say this tonight? No one is too far gone. No one is. Come to the Father and find his love and forgiveness. If you're the younger brother tonight, lost in sin, alienated from God because of the sin in your heart, he asks, just repent and come to me and find his love and forgiveness. Now with the older brother, we're going to find he was just as alienated from the father. But his sin wasn't so obvious, at least to those who were looking on. The older brother, he thought he would find blessing by never breaking away from the traditions, by never disobeying, and by always working for his father. That's where he saw that he could find blessing was in all of those rules that he was keeping. And on the outside, he looked like the perfect son. I mean, think about, you think about who Jesus is talking to and when he's talking to the Pharisees, they would have been like, man, this kid, he got what he wanted or what he earned and, and really where he should have ended up with the swine and all of that. But that older son, man, he did it right. He stuck to the stuff. He, I mean, that kid, he he's never done it wrong. and And so when they see what, What Jesus says takes place with the older son, uh, it's really an indictment on their own heart. They would have seen uh, this guy looked like the perfect son on the outside, but on the inside, he was just as separated relationally from his father. He was doing good, but for the wrong reasons. What Jesus was trying to get at by adding the older son to the story is that sin is not just doing bad things. It is also doing good things for the wrong reasons. The sin of the younger son was obvious. The sin of the older was not as seen, but just as egregious to God and to this father. Both of these sons, they had a mindset of, you owe me to their father. The first, he said, you owe me what's coming to me. I don't care about you, give it to me. And the older son, he said, I've never disobeyed you. You owe me. Both of them had a you owe me attitude. I think there are far too many Christians like this older brother. I've been one. I've been an older brother. I've been in both. I've been a younger brother at times. I've been an older brother. We think, well, I don't do that. Our church does this. We, we make sure to wear the right clothes. We make sure to do these things right, and, and I'm not doing what they're doing. You know, it, a good indictment on whether we have older brother syndrome is if we ever find ourselves comparative and competitive with other people. Uh, and and uh, it, it's good to do those things, but again, why are we doing them? Why? And, and where in the Bible does it say that those things are what God defines our relationship to him by? simply not there. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And if we're going to be a true older brother, man, I wish I would have said this earlier when I looked at the older brother, but if we're going to be a true older brother, see, a true older brother would have ran after the younger brother and would have tried to reconcile between the younger brother and the father. We have a true older brother. Romans chapter 8, as it talks about Jesus being the firstborn of many brethren. Okay, he's our older brother. And he saw us in our lost state. He saw us in our sin. And yet another picture again, where Jesus, he as a true older brother, ran after us and said, I'm going to reconcile you to the father. That's what a true older brother would have done. But this older brother rather seethes and gets angry at what the father has done. Do you see how both of these approaches are deeply flawed in how they define their relationship to the father? Uh, If you define yourself as the younger son did by his possessions or his skills or anything like that, uh, that, you know, this is who I am, then when those things are gone, your world crashes. That's what happened to the younger brother. And, and when those things are gone, you'll see yourself as a failure when your world crashes. And if you define yourself as the older brother did by what others tell you you have to do or by the standards and traditions that you hold, then when the father blesses someone outside of your tradition, your world crashes. The father, the older brother, was like, This is how I get blessing. This is how I get my father's stuff. This is how I do all of this. This is how I have love from my father. And then when the father blessed the younger son, he was like, ah, ah, What about? He was so offended because he was defining his relationship in this way sin and self discovery like the younger brother, will leave you lost and alienated from the father. But so will self-righteousness. You'll be lost in that state in your own goodness. One will leave you alienated by your sin, the other alienated by your standards. So, if neither of these ways are a good way to define our relationship with our father, what is the best way to define ourselves And the relationship between us and God. Here's the answer. The love of the father. The love of the father. The father responded to both in love. To the younger son, he said, you've sinned, but I love you. He ran, went out to the younger son, took the payment and shame for the younger son, celebrated when there was repentance And he said, look, you've sinned, but I love you. Come be in my presence now. And then he pleads with the older son to do the same as the younger. He says, repent of your sin against me. You're too self-righteous, but I love you. Come be in my presence. His call to both sons was, come be with me because I love you. See, the the only true and sustainable identity in our life is not how we define ourselves or how traditions of men or other people define us. The only true sustainable identity is this. Jesus defines me. And in him, I am loved and I am accepted. And our relationship to God is not, it is not, it is not, did you hear me? It is not defined by what we do. Our relationship to God is a grace-based relationship, not a works-based one. Jesus is not some oppressive Lord making us do things. Both of the sons, they saw their father as someone who was expecting them to do all of these right things. And that's why the younger son said, I've got to get out of here and just see who I am by myself and take what's mine and, and, and go and find fulfillment somewhere else. And the older son said, no, this is where I find fulfillment is just by following what my father says because he, he wants me to do all of these things. But if we see our heavenly father as that kind of oppressive Lord, we are not seeing him in the right kind of view Our view of him is skewed. He is not an oppressive Lord. He is an extravagantly giving and loving father. And what's interesting, as I said a moment ago, is the story is open-ended. Why? Because now we have to make the choice. Are we going to repent either of our sin or of our self-righteousness and have true fellowship with the father? God is not just about restoring those who are far from him and who have run away, although he is about that. He is also about bringing those of us who are close to him in proximity. We look apart. we're in church, we're near his presence all the time, but so far from him in our hearts. He's about bringing those types of Christians back into fellowship with him as well. I wanna close with just this illustration to look because it isn't a works based relationship at all, it's all grace based, however, there are some works to be done, <laughs> and so we need to have the right motive for them and so, let me close with this illustration i remember I remember a day in high school where I was just having a rough morning it was It was just one of those days where i kept I kept forgetting things, tripping over things like i I, I kept running up the stairs because I forgot to grab something before I went to school, get downstairs, start to put on my shoe, realize I left the other shoe upstairs. Like, it's just one of those days, going back and forth. And in the midst of all of it, I ended up tripping with a drink in my hand. I don't remember what the drink was. It's probably Dr. Pepper, just knowing me in high school, but even, even if it was like 7 a.m. Uh, and so I, I, I don't remember what the drink was, but I tripped, and, then, and it was a big drink and got it all over the couch right in front of my mom. (laughs) And I thought, oh no, she's gonna yell. It's already been a terrible day, but it's about to get terribler because she is going to yell. And what surprised me was she didn't. (laughs) She just said, hey, I got this, cleaned it up. Let me go on my way to school. But not only that, when I got home later that day from school, I walked into my room, and on my bed, there was a bag of Hershey's Kisses with my name written on it and a little note that said, It looked like you were having a rough day. I love you. That's all I said. Well, fast forward a few hours that day. It was uh, dinner time, and my mom asked me to help getting the table ready, and then she asked me afterward for me to take all the dishes to the sink. Well, when she asked me to do these things, I just did them because of what she had already done for me in that day. I wasn't like, oh, man, now I got to obey this woman. Like, it wasn't enough that, like, I let her clean my, my stuff this way. You see how ridiculous that sounds, right? I wasn't like, oh, man, now I have to obey her. Like, that's silly. Why? Well, because I was so motivated by the fact that my mom loved me that much. It just made sense that I would just follow and do what she asked me to do. And so it is with our heavenly father. If we consistently look at him with the eyes of the younger or the older brother, that what we do is somehow going to make us closer to God, then of course, it's either going to drive us away like the younger brother or frustrate us when it doesn't pan out the way that we think it should, like the older brother. But if we just allow our relationship to him to be defined by how much he loves us, it just makes sense that we obey him. Right? That we would give our lives a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. It's our reasonable service. Why is it reasonable? Because He loves us. Despite our sin, whenever we are so far from Him and we say, oh man, He just sees us this way, He says, no, I don't. I love you. Just repent. Come be in my presence. Fellowship with me. And those times that we think we've arrived, because we're dumb. <laughs> and we're like, I've got this Christian thing down. He goes, no, you don't. But I love you. Just come and fellowship with me. Be in my presence. How do we do that? We get into his word. We pray. We just develop a relationship with the Father. Why? Because he loves us. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.